invite you to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. As we prepare for the Lord's Supper today, we want to look back at this very, very important passage from 1 Corinthians chapter 11. I've entitled the meditation, the thoughts that we're having to prepare for the Lord's Supper, discerning the body. And the reason is in verse 29, you'll see for anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body, eats and drinks judgment on himself. I'm trying to ponder what does that mean to discern the body? And that that word means to sort of to think through, to kind of go through and evaluate the body of the Lord. But, but specifically, I think what Paul is trying to say here is to evaluate your place in the body. And specifically, how good a body member are you? How are you functioning within the body? To, to kind of ask yourself, not just how am I doing, you know, I go and, and, and during the week I'm living my life and I'm, I'm doing pretty well, but, but how do you fit in to not just the, the body of Christ around the world, but in this local place? How do you fit into a body? Are, are you a functioning part of that body? Do you love that body? Do you pray for that body? Are you concerned when... When a finger in that body hurts, do you hurt? Do you seek to help that finger? Do you come alongside that finger? We come to this and we, when it says that we are to examine ourselves in verse 28, let a person examine himself then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. We think of examining only the individual sins that we have, our personal things that we struggle with when we're not together. But the direct context of this passage, as we'll look at in a minute, is, is how, do we, how do we live together? There's not just individual sins, there's corporate sins. There, there's not just sins of every member, but they're family sins or f- sins against the family. And we need to examine ourselves Am I a good part of the body? Um, As a foot, am I helping the body get to where it needs to go? As an ear, am I listening out to hear what needs to to happen? Um, Maybe you're a, a person that, a ligament that holds things together. We all remember that's, We always say Barbara was glue. She's sort of a ligament, right? She kind of held us all together. Are you doing the job and the role that God created you to do? There are no unimportant parts. Let me tell you, if I get a splinter in my little finger, the whole body knows about it. It hurts, and it makes it hard to use that hand. And so we want to say and ask ourselves, how am I doing? Not, not just do I care about the other body members, but am I doing my part? A- am, am I seeking to, to come alongside and strengthen the whole? 
And that's the question I want us to ask. We'll begin reading in verse 17 of chapter 11. Paul says, but in the following instructions I do not commend you. Because when you come together it is not for the better but for the worse. For in the first place when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you. And I believe it in part, for there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. And when you come together, it's not the Lord's Supper that you eat. For in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No, I will not. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of profaning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body, eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill, and some have died, but... If we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. So then, my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. If anyone is hungry, let him eat at home, so that when you come together, it will not be for judgment. About the other things, I will give directions when I come. Father, this is your word, and we ask now that your Holy Spirit, that inspired the Apostle Paul to write down this word, because it ultimately has as its author you. We pray, Lord, that that same Holy Spirit that is present in this room would now teach us would now correct us, would bring us in line, would, would show us as we try to discern our place in the body. Lord, that you would help us to become better members of the body of Christ that would bring more glory to him. In Jesus' name we pray. Together God's people said, Amen. So as we, we come to this, one of the verses that you see there in verse 26, for as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. This eating of this 
family meal, this, this meal for the body, for the church of God, is a type of sermon. It's a type of message that we're proclaiming. We're proclaiming at the very center of our faith is that, that one died for all. That one's body was broken, and as we eat of it, we are nourished and we're given life. That one's blood was shed, and by that shed blood, all of our sins are forgiven. And we are, in a very sense, as we eat the bread and it becomes a part of us, so we have become a part of, of Christ. N- not by the physical act of eating, but by the, the spiritual act of believing, and as portrayed and proclaimed by the physical act of taking and breaking and sharing and eating and drinking. So this meal is meant to show the love of Christ, the love of God, right? And this is about, you, you've, you know, parents, you think about it, you, you sacrifice for your kids, But could you imagine just totally, if they were sick, instead you say, you know what, because it was possible, I take your sickness, I die so that you can live. This is the, the kind of love. And Christ being infinite God who, who took on finite flesh, he is of such incredible value that he can do it not just for one or two, but he can do it for a world of sinners that would believe in Him as they hear the gospel and the Spirit brings faith and repentance. So this is a meal about love, about God's love. It's a meal about sharing. It's a meal about about breaking down all the things that the world values, right? The world says, oh, you're really important if you're rich or you're really important if you're pretty or handsome or you're really important if you're smart or you're really important by what job you've got, right? You're really important if you're young, not if you're old. The world has all kinds of ways. You're important if you have this skin color or you speak this language or you're from this country. You're great if you belong to that nation, but you're not great if you belong to another nation. And the Lord Jesus Christ in one act of sacrificial love and of forgiveness of sins has said that by that he is creating a new family where all of those man-made sinful distinctions are obliterated. So that the 12-year-old that believes, the person that's 65 and, and never was able to get a lot of education, the person who is fighting some kind of serious illness, the, the person who has a lot of finances, the person with very little finances, the, the red and yellow, black and white, people from every nation, old, young, male, female, whatever background you're fa- from, if you have placed faith in Christ and turned away from your former life, he says there is a place and not just a place, an equal place at the table. This meal is meant to show grace. It's meant to show that the the ground is level at the foot of the cross. 
It's meant to take all those things that the world values and it says, you know what, that is absolute rubbish. What is most important is that you have a new identity. You are united to Christ by faith and now you are a son or a daughter of God. Not by birth, but by rebirth. Not by nature, but by grace. Not naturally, but supernaturally. We're all made by God, but we're remade by God. We're born from above. Not because we deserve it. This table is not for the deserving. It's for the undeserving. It's not for the people who live the best life. It's for the people who realize no matter what kind of life that they live, it has fallen short of the glory of God. That's what this table is. And you know what? If we come to this table and we bring all of our worldly values and divisions to it, we're making a mockery of the table. You see, so if this, meant, if this table is meant to proclaim the reality of a new humanity, of a new people, of one race, that the, it says the blood-bought race of sinners who have been purchased from every nation, tribe, and tongue. If, if it's meant to show that and we bring to it and we still look over and say, well, yeah, that person, nah, you wouldn't believe what they used to do or used to be. Or, or that person, they're kind of old. I think they're, they're over the hill. Or that person, they're too young. Or that person, they speak differently. Or that person doesn't have as much education as me. If we say that, we are denying the very reality that we are trying to proclaim. So what do you see in verses 17 through 22? Essentially what you see in verses 17 to 22 is they are contradicting the very gospel that has saved them. They're contradicting it, right? He says, I can't even commend you. He says, you know what? When you get together, when you come together, you're actually supposed to leave better than worse. You're supposed to leave better off, but you don't leave better off because when you come together, you're all just split up into your little parties. I don't know if, you know what? I, I think what the church in Corinth looked like it looked like high school. You know, it was just little cliques. Oh, yeah, this is the popular kids over here and everybody, uh-huh. And there's the not-so-popular kids and, 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 and everybody's just in their little groups. I think that's what Corinth, the church in Corinth looked like. And he says, you're, just, you're manifesting the world. There are divisions among you. And he says, look, now there is actually, this is his point, when he says there, um, and I believe it in part, for there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. This is simply, without going into it, what he's trying to say there. Part of the reasons there's factions is in the church in Corinth, there were actually people who weren't saved. And in our church, every other church, it's probably the case. And let me just tell you this. Being a born-again Christian, being a person who's been born from above, is not something you can fake very well. 
because it's not something you do. It's something you are that leads to what you do. It is a fundamental reorientation of your life that, that now you are not supreme. You are not the most important thing in the universe. Christ is. He is the very center and you are clinging to Him and you are coming to Him not because you're good but because He's good. And in every body... There are people that they're just Christians because, well, their parents were and they've never gotten it. They think that somehow they've got to be good enough. They've got to work their way into this thing. It's a, it's a family tradition. It's what we always were. My parents took me to church, therefore I'm a Christian. And they're as lost as the person that's never entered the doors of a church. And he's saying that part of the reason that you've actually got it, this problem is they're actually unbelievers. So let me just tell you this before we come to the table. The most important thing that could happen to you today is if you realize, you know what? My, my profession of faith in Christ has been a sham. I've never truly trusted Christ. And at this moment, by the power of the Holy Spirit, you see that. Let, let me just tell you, this table, it's open to all but it's open to all who've been united to Christ by faith and have been publicly obedient to him in baptism. And as you have done that, then this table is open to you. But if it's not real, don't eat. This is not for unbelievers. It's not just because you go to church. It's because you are a part of the church. It's because you are a part of Christ. This table is, is a real thing. Let me tell you, I would be much much more pleased. And I would think there would be so much more to commend you if you today said, you know what, I will not eat and I will not drink because I know I'm not really a part of Christ. And then talk to me. Talk to one of the other elders. Talk to one of the deacons. Talk to somebody that you know is a believer and say, how can I genuinely become a follower of Christ? What does it take? And then come to this table not as an act of tradition or just to fit in, but because you really know that your name has been written in the book of life. You know that Christ is your Savior. Notice what he says in verse 20, when you come together, it's not the Lord's Supper you eat. For in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. In Corinth, there were people of various uh, economic levels. Uh, most of the people, according to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, were not very significant in the eyes of the world, right? God chose the nobodies. But apparently somebody had to have a house big enough that they could meet in. And someone had to have a living room that was large enough that they could gather. Some of the largest living rooms may have fit about 50 people. So let me just tell you this. We start to feel, oh man, our church is so small. You know what? You're about the size of the church in Corinth, most likely, just based on the largest room excavated. A few rooms larger, but, but typical uh, sort of wealthy room would have fit about 50 people standing. But not everybody got off work at the same time. There were slaves in the church. You, you've read that. There were freedmen in the church. Uh, Corinth was a strategic uh, transport place, two ports. And so there were people, who, slaves, they'd probably been up before uh, sunlight, and it was after dark before they'd just come barely dragging in. And by the time they get to, to church, 
the bread, the cup, bread eaten, cup drunk. And not only is the cup drunk, but few of the members were drunk. Uh, literally, this is, this is one thing I think about this as I was noticing this. You know, uh, in eating, one goes ahead with his own meal, another goes hungry. It's like Jennifer and I trying to share a bowl of salsa. Do any of you married know what I'm talking about? Right? The wife goes in to put her first chip in the bowl and the salsa's gone. She's like, what happened? Right? Well, I kind of went ahead and ate. I wasn't thinking about you. And this, this, what does that manifest? Selfishness? Lack of love? It, it's, a, it's a vital sign that there's trouble on the way. It's a vital sign that your heart is not beating as it should beat because you should be saying, you know what, I want her to have more than I want. I want to wait until she can eat. I don't want to take, this is not a, this is not a private meal. This is a family meal. And everybody's been brought in and you could just see them. What they should have been saying is, you know, oh, I know, um, I know Fred, he's down still at the docks. He's got a long way to walk. Hey, let's just all wait because he has a place at the table. He has some of that bread, some of that cup. It would have been love, but instead they had taken all of their worldly values and they just they were still in the church. They, they were brought into the church and he's saying that our greed and our selfishness and our only thinking about our own interest is actually a manifestation that we're still living more like Corinth than like Christ. Can you imagine what it would be like if you were that slave? You got off after dark and you come in, you've been trying to get there as fast as you could, and you come in, and there are these wealthier members, all the bread gone, the cup drunk, they're lying over inebriated, you're not going to leave feeling like you were apart. You're not going to leave feeling loved. What does it say there? He says, verse 22, Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? Maybe it's like the fellowship meal. They had nothing to bring. And they leave home feeling like they're not apart. Let me just tell you, oh, let me just please plead with you one more time. Maybe this is my last time on earth that I get to do this, but I'm going to do it one more time. The most glorious reality on earth is the body of Christ that has broken down every barrier of race, every barrier of age, every socioeconomic barrier, that literally there are people in Beijing and people in Berlin and people in Shanghai and, and people down in, in Singapore. There are people in, in Seattle, Washington, and there are people down in, in Florida, and there are people here and we are literally a part of one body. Let me tell you, this is so much more exciting than any nation state on earth. This is a citizenship worth living and dying for. This is a citizenship that does not lead us to, 
to fight and to kill, but this leads us to love and to lay down our lives. This is not something to make the world more immoral, but to make the world truly filled with love and Christ-likeness, godliness. This is a family that literally God is calling from the very edges of the earth to the very centers of of population, and he is bringing us together. It is truly the most glorious, wonderful, loving, world-altering reality. It makes every family, it makes every state, it makes every nation, it makes every continent, whatever way you want to try to identify yourself, it pales in comparison to the beauty of being a part of the blood-bought family of Jesus Christ where all are equal at the table, not by virtue of their birth, but by virtue of their rebirth, not by virtue of who they are, but of who Christ is. Love this. You cannot, this, you know what? If you eat bread and drink cup by yourself, you can remember Christ, but it's not the Lord's Supper. Because key to the Lord's Supper is it's people coming together in Jesus' name. It's about not just your individual salvation, but how we have been brought together despite our differences. And we are being created and shaped into the image of the self-giving, loving Savior who shed his blood on our behalf. That can only be done when you come together, as the Apostle Paul says. But what were they doing? They were contradicting the gospel by their life, by their table manners, or lack thereof. Their behavior was anti-gospel behavior. He then tells us that at the very heart of this is remembering and retelling, reenacting the gospel. Notice there in verse 23, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. So, so, so let me just tell you, if we come in here and we think it's just about, okay, we all need to love each other. Let, let me tell you, the only reason we can even possibly love each other is because of the one who first loved us. The table is down the line about us and about what it creates, a new family. But it is first and foremost about the family maker. It's about the one who is the Lord. It's about the one who who gave his body to be broken and his blood to be shed. And we need to have him firmly fixed in our mind. He is the head of our family. He's the head of our body. He's the one that has created this transnational, incredible creation known as his church. And we must think about him. We must realize we have no forgiveness apart from Him. We have no Holy Spirit apart from Him. We have no salvation apart from Him. We have no victory over death apart from Him. We have no creation of a new family apart from Him. He is our all and in all. And everything, as we do this, we, we are we're remembering, yes, what that benefit is, that it's created a new family. But we think about the one at the end of the table the servant who washed the feet of the disciples, the one who died on the cross in the center 
the only one who's ever redeemed people from sins. Every animal that was ever sacrificed was only pointing to him. He's the only one who is worthy to ever bear the sins of his people. And he did. So this meal is nothing if it's not about Jesus. Let me just tell you, if you're trying to figure out about your own life, where you are spiritually, if you're trying to figure out about a church, let me just tell you one thing you need to, you need to gauge is Jesus Christ at the center of both. Is he the center? Because let me just tell you, people say, well, you know, wait a minute. You've got Christ. What about the Holy Spirit? What about the Father? Let me tell you, if you have Christ, you have the Father. And if you have the Father and the Son, they're pouring the Holy Spirit on you. You have the one triune God. But we, as Paul says in Colossians, that Christ might have preeminence in all. That's why we have the action of Christ, this central action of salvation is put right there and we renew it and we do it over and over again because we're remembering what he did on Calvary. So what are we to do then? Look with me in 27. Who therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of profaning the body and blood of the Lord. Now, I know what every mind does when we read that. Unworthy. So let's just go ahead and be clear. If unworthy means you actually deserve it, then let's all go home now. It can't mean that, right? I mean, you, you read everything about the gospel. The gospel is about calling the unworthy. It, it, it's about Christ, God loving us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So it, it can't be that somehow now, all right, I've got I've to... I've Work myself in the salvation. No. Let me tell you what's unworthy. What's unworthy is to be in sin and unwilling to turn from that sin. Not to be free from sin, but to be unwilling to repent from sin. It's to, it's to, to, to come and to literally not care about anybody in this church, not care about any church, not care about even being a part of a church. You just, you and Jesus. Let me tell you, if you are doing that, then your behavior is literally living in, not in line with the gospel. Do you, do you remember the whole conflict between Paul and, and Peter, Cephas as he calls him, in Galatians? What was it? Peter was eating with Gentiles, which this table breaks down Jew-Gentile barrier. We're all at the same table. One church, one Israel of God together, Jew and Gentile. We grafted into the body. Beautiful, one body. Peter got that, and he was eating with Gentiles, which was absolutely unthinkable a few years before. Few of the sort of more strict, sort of we've got to keep all of the ceremonial law, people come from Jerusalem, and Peter pulls away, and says, I'm not eating with them. And you know what? You've got an apostolic throwdown in the New Testament, and the Apostle Paul, the younger, the apostle, the least of the apostles, the one born out of time, he confronts Peter and he says, your actions are not in line with the gospel. He doesn't say you didn't, hey, Peter, you're not earning your salvation. You're not the God. His actions are not in line with the God. That's all we're saying. 
We're not saving ourselves. We're not now having on the backside, we've got to make ourselves worthy. We're saying this great gospel of grace, our life needs to be in line with it. And one is, is we love Christ more than we love our sin. And we, learn, we are learning to love each other more than we love ourselves. And if you are not in that fight and you are not on that trajectory and you don't care about your brothers and sisters and you don't care about your sin and you want Jesus and you want your sin at the same time and you're not willing to confess that sin and you're not willing to ask for power and strength and cleansing, then you are drinking of this cup and of this eating of this bread in an unworthy manner. Are you willing to repent? Are you willing to say, Lord, teach me how to love? Teach me how to love. So you've got to examine yourself. Where are you? There's a lot of immorality and greed, drunkenness, worldliness in the church in Corinth. A lot of pride, a lot of jealousy, strife, quarreling. I like Apollos. I like Paul. I like Cephas. You know, celebrity pastor worship. Rich, poor. He says, you know what? Your life together will never be the gospel, but it sure better reflect the gospel. It better be in line with the gospel. And as it's not, this table is, this is our rededication service where we say we're not where we want to be. But Lord, we want to again see a portrait of what it means to have sinners from every, every corner of earth, every language group, every ethnicity brought together. So show us, Lord. Where we're off, we evaluate ourselves. We discern our place in the body. He says this is no small thing. He says in verse 30, that is why many of you are weak and ill and some have died. It is not a joke to come to this table and then you literally are profaning the body and blood of the Lord. We're not talking about perfection. (laughs) Can't be. This church in Corinth was so far from perfection. can't be perfection, but it can be direction. Are you saying, Lord, thank you for forgiving me? I don't want to keep living like the world. I want to live in line with the word. I don't want to live like Corinth. I want to live more like Christ. Forgive me. Wash me. Help me to become a loving person. Help me to become a pure person. If you just don't think about it, don't evaluate yourself, don't evaluate your own sin, don't evaluate your connection to the body, whether you publicly ever even said, I am a part of a body, there actually is consequences, weakness, illness. So how does he end? Verses 33, 34. So then, my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. So if anyone is hungry, let him eat at home. So when you come together, it will not be for judgment. About the other things, I will give directions when I come. Um, This table is meant to give to our feeble minds a portrait of what the family of God looks like. So let me just just say say it this way. When you do something for a Christian, a believer in Jesus Christ, do you understand that you have just done that for Jesus himself? Now, when you do something for an unbeliever, you do it for Jesus' sake. 
But when you do something to a believer, you are it would be like if you if I had cut my toe and you helped me to clean up the cut and you 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 helped me put the band-aid on the cut. Do, do you know what that would be? You can't say, well, that was for my toe, but it wasn't for me. Christ says, you do it for my toe. You've done it for me. That's how united you are to Christ. That Paul got this lesson. It was the first theological lesson he learned on the road to Damascus. He's going down the road. He's blinded by the light, knocked off his horse. And in Hebrew, Jesus from heaven above says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Not, why are you persecuting my church? Why are you persecuting my toe? Why are you persecuting my hand? Jesus considers his people, his body, so that he self-identifies himself to Paul. He says, as you are persecuting them, you're persecuting me. That's what this reality is. We're one with Jesus, with an indissoluble cord. It's never going to be broken. Never going to be broken. Oh, I'm grateful for the church in Corinth. If it weren't for them, I think we might get discouraged. But as we look at their struggles, we realize God comes down to real, sinful, struggling people like us. And he still says, come back. You notice the Apostle Paul doesn't say, you guys, y'all are done. No more Lord's Supper for you. You're out. You're done. He says, you need to... Bring your behavior in line with the gospel that you're proclaiming. So today, what am I saying? If you've got individual sin in your life today, you need to confess that and believe that Christ forgives. If you know that you have sins against the body, either sins of neglect or sins of laziness, not doing your part, not being faithful, neglecting the assembling of yourselves together, and then this is not meant to, to bring condemnation. This is meant to bring confession. So that you would say, you know what? I want to live and die as a part of the church, the blood-bought church of Jesus Christ. It matters. It is the most significant reality, more important than my personal identity, more important than my family. I am a part of the new family of God, bought with the purchase price of the blood of His Son. Come, if you're a believer and you're repentant, come. If you've never believed, believe right now. Talk to us. And next time we take of this meal, we will with open arms welcome you to the table. We'll welcome you. Equal place for all who believe. Would you pray with me? Father, forgive us, Lord, for our shallow understanding and our shallow way of living in line with the gospel. We're not the gospel, Lord. Even if we live the worst lives on the planet, the gospel's still true. But Lord, because it is true and because it is transformative and it is the power of God unto salvation, we want to live in line with it. Would you help us today? 
even if we've never loved your family, the body of Christ, if we, uh, a finger, have never loved a toe, Lord, help us to say, I'm a part of that body. There are no unimportant parts. There are no unimportant roles to play that to be a part of the body of Christ is truly the greatest, the greatest gift, the greatest identity, the greatest belonging that could ever happen on earth. Thank you, Lord. It is in Jesus' name that we pray. And together, God's people said, amen.